Exploring the natural world, one podcast episode at a time. This is For What It's Earth. Hi all, and thank you for joining me for another episode of For What It's Earth by me, Marissa of the Art of Ecology. Here, nature enthusiasts, animal lovers, and eco-warriors can discover and explore so many facets of the environment we all love and some creative ways to make a positive difference for the planet. This week, we're going to take a look at various plants that might be causing your seasonal allergies this time of year and hopefully break the stigma that has been put on a certain plant that has been blamed for the allergies. For many of us, the start of the school year starts the mark of fall seasonal allergies. And, and, yeah, excuse me. Ah. Our eyes, our noses, and our throats can suffer as we greatly enjoy the outdoors. But what is it that's actually making us so sneezy? Well, Unfortunately for this amazing plant, the blame usually is directed at this highly suspicious yellow flower that blooms right around the start of September and continues to bloom well into late fall. And that flower is called goldenrod. We know that our seasonal allergies are coming from pollen and nothing looks more covered in pollen than this vibrant yellow, kind of poofy, fuzzy looking flower that the bees love hanging out on. However, what we aren't aware of is that there is another much, much sneakier culprit. Ragweed is typically the primary cause of seasonal allergies that start at this time of year, otherwise known as hay fever. While there are many causes of seasonal allergies, including mold growth on fallen leaves, ragweed and pollen dispersion is definitely a huge source of our sniffles, and most of us aren't even aware of that. Ragweed usually goes unnoticed, mainly due to the fact that even though it's also blooming at the same time as goldenrod, the flowers are very, very inconspicuous and the pollen grains are virtually unnoticeable. So how could something so invisible to us be impacting us so much? Well, the flowers of ragweed are uniquely adapted to any method of their pollination. So with goldenrod in those bright, happy, colorful flowers, they're colorful for a reason, not just because, yay, it's pretty. These flowers that are colorful, think your goldenrod, your zinnias, coneflowers, sunflowers, they are colorful because they're primarily insect or bird pollinated, and they need to be capturing the attention of those living creatures. They need to say, hey, I'm over here. Then for creatures like bumblebees, Pollen grains need to be able to stick to the hairs on the body and legs in order to be moved from one flower to the next. Yellow is actually one of bumblebee's favorite colors and it acts as leading lines or think of at the airport, the guys with the, you know, those, I'm waving them back and forth, those sticks to direct the airplanes. And it shouts, hey, come eat over here to various pollinators by being so bright and yellow. 
For inconspicuous flowers though, such as the ragweed, pollen grains are very small and don't attract pollinators because they aren't specially adapted to that method of pollen dispersion or seed dispersion. They are specially suited to being dispersed through the wind. As the wind blows these tiny pollen grains around in the air, they land on the large stalks of ragweed flowers in the surrounding area to help pollinate one another. Once the wind blows or you disturb the plant, think, you know, you're walking through a field or a wood's edge or along weedy patches, you may actually see a cloud of pollen go poof off of the ragweed. Pollen grains are too heavy on things that are supposed to be moved around by birds and bees. They're not gonna be dispersed by the wind, but these, these pollen grains of the ragweed, they definitely are. And when the pollen is blowing around and poof, poof, poofing around in the wind, they unfortunately also find their way up our noses and into our sinuses. When the pollen enters our nose, typically what's supposed to happen is the body sees, oh, it's just a harmless pollen grain, not something actually attacking us, whatever, and ignore it. However, an allergy is caused by an improper reaction that our body has. So when the pollen grains come up our nose, the body doesn't recognize them as harmless and assumes that they are harmful foreign objects and tries to get rid of them. It's our body trying to protect us, which overall we want our bodies to be able to protect us and be able to function. However, sometimes it's a little annoying when the body misidentifies something as harmful. So we sneeze a bunch, we get watery eyes if the pollen grains get up to our eyes, and our body starts to produce histamines to try to fight off something that's actually unfightable. The pollen grains aren't doing anything. And that's why our bodies get all and sneezy and just weepy this time of year. Typically, if you tend to be allergic to things like mites or dust or mold, you're also pretty likely to have an allergy or develop an allergy to ragweed. But fortunately, there are some ways to mitigate this immune response to pollen grains, which is really fortunate. As a kid, I was not allergic to pretty much anything. I had one allergy and it was a medicine allergy to penicillin. Otherwise, food, good. Seasonal allergies, I was good. All my classmates were sneezing up a storm and I was confused, what is happening? And now as an adult, I'm starting to notice that in the spring, I'm a little more sneezy than normal. And now in the fall, mine though will probably start in a couple of days, two weeks or so, because my allergy seems to stem more from mold growth that happens as leaves fall, it's getting damper, there's gonna be mold growing in those leaves. And as I take walks with my dog or I go on my educational tours out in the natural world, I'm kicking up all of this mold growth and breathing it in, snuffing it in, not on purpose. And my body doesn't seem to react well to that. So I'm a little concerned that I might develop an allergy 
to other parts of nature as well as I get older. So I'm very encouraged that there are ways to mitigate how my body kind of responds to this. First, you can make sure that if you know you're going out, you know that, oh, I have to walk my dog, I have to walk to my neighbors, or whatever it is, you just want some time out in nature. If you know you're going to be tromping around in a place that has ragweed, go later in the day. Typically, ragweed pollen grains are dispersed more in the mornings, so going out later can help you avoid the time of day when the highest pollen count is in the air. Vacuuming more frequently in the early fall, especially if you like to have windows open, can reduce the amount of pollen that just collects around from opening doors. And now think you open doors and the wind is getting sucked in. Even though we don't see the pollen grains in the air, they're that small, they're so small, they might get sucked in as well. And if you have carpets, rugs, any sort of surface, the pollen grains can fall on and now it's inside your home. So vacuuming more frequently can help to mitigate an immune response when you aren't expecting it. Now, there are some ways that you can try to figure out if you have ragweed or goldenrod, because we all know we don't want to be sneezy. And so being able to identify what is triggering our allergies is gonna be really helpful for being able to mitigate it, but also, we don't want to be wrongfully blaming a plant that's actually really important to the ecosystem. So let's take a look now at some identifying traits between your ragweed and your goldenrod. First off, let's look at the leaves you'll be able to see that ragweed has really heavily lobed, almost fern-like leaves. Each of these individual leaves kind of reminds me of, think, a strange bird foot or a dinosaur foot that has those three lobes. Now, each of those dinosaur feet or fern-like leaves, each of them has a petiole which is actually the name of the portion that connects the leaf to the stem. So if you think of, it's really easy to see, in a maple leaf or an oak leaf, you have your large leaf structure, and then there's like a weird stem, and that's what connects to the branch. That weird stem on the leaf is the petiole. In goldenrod, on the other hand, they have very, very long narrow, linear leaves that are connected directly to their stem as if they have no petiole at all. So that will be a really great way to be able to identify, is there a petiole? Is there that little stem that connects the leaf, this highly dissected and lobed leaf? Or is it no petiole and it's a really long, thin leaf? That might help you determine if there's no flowers on the plant yet. Sometimes in goldenrod species, they may actually have tiny little serrations or teeth along the leaf margins or the edges of the leaf. Now, that could be at times of the year when 
the flowers aren't visible, the plants are just starting to grow. But what if they do have flowers? This is going to be another great indicator of which is which. The goldenrod has really bright yellow flowers that branch off of the stem in these kind of spikes or inflorescences. These get smaller as they get toward the top, making the entire plant stem to tip look like an arrow where you have little spikes at the base of this flower cluster that go out really far and they taper and taper until the little spikes become very small at the top making this like triangle of spikes. Each of the spikes that comes off or these inflorescences are full of small, vibrant yellow flowers. And these are such amazing pollinator plants that if you were to go up to a goldenrod plant in full bloom, it'll most likely be covered in bees, wasps, beetles, ants, butterflies, and more. With ryegreed, it's kind of the opposite. With its very small, inconspicuous flowers that grow along one single flower spike, it, it makes the plant look more like a candelabra where it has individual stems and at the tip of each stem is one single spike. And those tiny, itty, bitty, so small little flowers don't really attract pollinators. So you're not gonna see a lot of biodiversity hanging around this plant. From a distance, aside from the color, it's also fairly easy to distinguish between the two based on height of the plant alone. For the most part, ragweed's going to be a lot smaller, being only a couple of inches to max of a few feet high. Although in some cases, if it is in full sun, there's no competition, it's got lots of space, it can be big and can be five to six feet tall. That's going to be a rare occasion. For the most part, if you're going to find this plant, it's probably going to be knee high or less. Goldenrod, on the other hand, will rarely, if ever, be only a few inches tall. These plants are usually going to be between knee and shoulder height. And in some cases, where you're in fields or meadows or along roadsides and there's not a lot of tree cover to be shading these plants out. I've been in areas where many of the goldenrod plants have been above my head and I can reach my hand up to touch the flower and I'm five foot six. They can be really big. So those are some easy ways by looking at the type of flowers, by looking at the size of the plant, by looking at the shape of the leaves. Some easier ways to kind of say, oh, that's a ragweed or no, that's actually a goldenrod. And while you might not want to go around planting ragweed, not just because they don't really add color to the fall landscape, but because, you know, you don't want to be sneezing up a storm. I do highly recommend that if there is one flower that you plant this year, that you plant goldenrod. Goldenrod is such an amazing and important plant in your local landscape. And I mean broad. I don't just mean if you're listening in Pennsylvania where I live. I mean, if you're in North America, take a look at these amazing flowers. 
They're natives to the entire eastern section of North America, ranging from the Great Plains all the way to the coastline, far up into Canada. And not only do they have this wide native range, but they're great for so many people to plant. And so many species have been specially adapted to mountains, plains, marshes, roadsides. So if you live in a woody area, plant some goldenrod. If you live up in the mountains, plant some goldenrod. If you live in the Philadelphia suburbs, plant some goldenrod. There's over a hundred species of solidago, which is the genus that goldenrod falls into. And their blooms happen just in time for the end of larger summer blooms. And those blooms can last for months. So it is great, perfect, important end of season food for numerous pollinators. As the echinacea, sunflowers, coneflowers start to dwindle, goldenrods are springing up saying, hey, don't worry, I've got you covered pollinators. In fact, over 120 native insect pollinators, including butterflies, moths, bees, wasps, and others rely on this plant, as well as numerous native bird species. My personal favorite local bird is the American goldfinch, who loves goldenrod, which is kind of fun, the yellow on yellow. But there's other birds that also rely on it, such as black-capped chickadees, pine siskins, indigo buntings, which that royal blue on the yellow also looks really nice. Carolina wrens, tufted titmice, and my personal favorite winter, local winter species, are white-throated sparrows. But that's not it. There's so many more, but it could take me a really long time to go through that list. So I'll just leave you with those top ones. Without goldenrod, these creatures, birds and bugs alike, won't have enough energy to fuel migrations or be able to make it through the long winter. This is a huge, huge, huge source of late season food and they need it. Goldenrod stalks also provide habitat for overwintering insects and larvae. There's several types of wasps and midges who will lay their eggs on goldenrod and create something called a gall. Galls are usually swollen portions of plants that have been chemically altered and have had a reaction to the laying of eggs. And now when I say that there's lots of wasps and I want you to be planting these plants that attract wasps, Remember, not all wasps are yellow jackets that just get angry because you looked at them and will sting you. Wasps are really important pollinators too, and many of them are harmless. Just like any wild species, if you are aggressive, if you get mean to it, if you attack it first, it's gonna try to protect itself. And we just find that unfortunately, we get really aggressive towards wasps because we're scared of them, which makes sense. They have the potential to do us harm. We don't like that. But keep in mind, everything has the potential to do us harm, even the really cute stuff. So yes, I still encourage you to plant goldenrod, even though wasps like it too. Back to the galls though. Oftentimes, a wasp will lay their egg inside of the stem of the goldenrod plant 
and that will release hormones to encourage the plant to grow and swell in that area like a balloon and create kind of like a nursery for the new baby when it hatches. On goldenrod plants, this can be seen as a large spherical swelling in the middle of the stem or with midges in a bunch gall where suddenly mutated leaf growth protects the larva. These bunch galls are also called rosette galls. They make kind of this rose, rosy shape of the leaf cluster. And this occurs when an egg has been laid on the terminal leaf bud of a stem. So you've got your stem, it's growing, it's growing, it's growing. And at the very tip of the stem is gonna be a new bud for a new leaf as it continues. That's gonna be where the insect, where this little goldenrod midge, it's very specific to the goldenrod plant where it lays its egg. The reaction of the egg being laid there prevents the stem from continuing to grow and produce future flowers. However, it forces the plants instead to continue producing leaves as if there was still stem to grow along. So you get this result that's kind of like this poof ball of leaves that provides protection for the growing egg. And other insects will take advantage of that poof ball of leaves by seeking shelter in the mutated leaves. So, for what it's earth. Next time you see goldenrod, say thank you. These are not actually the plants making you sneeze and your eyes water this fall, and instead provide the ecosystem with so many valuable benefits. Yeah, you can kick the ragweed. Is, well, don't actually kick the ragweed because that might release a cloud of pollen, but you can glare and give it the stink eye as you walk by. But please don't go around blaming goldenrod anymore. They do so much for us. So with that, thank you so much for digging deeper into the natural world with the Art of Ecology. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please support, review, and continue to follow along to explore more of the wonderful ecosystems that we're a part of for What It's Earth can be found on many podcast streaming platforms. For more tips and eco-inspiration, check out my blog at www.theartofecology.com. You can also find me on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at The Art of Ecology. And with that, I will see you next time on For What It's Earth.